To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Almost like it never existed, but it fucking did. So do me a favor. Go f*** yourself. Subscribe, share, donate, positivesarcasm.com, slash donate, any amount is appreciated. You can also hit me up on my Instagram if you have questions, concerns, or comments, Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. You can hit me up on my website per usual. If you're a fitness competitor and you need music, feel free to email me directly, positivesarcasm at outlook.com, subject uh, posing music. Um... If you want to support this podcast another way, not specifically directly, um, you can go ahead and use the Weeble app and the affiliate link in the description down below. Simply by using that affiliate link and you fund your account, uh, you'll get free stocks by signing up using that affiliate link. I'll get free stocks by using the affiliate link as well. Uh, I migrated over from... I migrated to Weeble from Robinhood back in 2020. It's a more stable platform. It's uh, far more detailed. I trust it a lot more than Robinhood. It's an excellent application for IRAs, cash management, high interest savings accounts, um, you know, stock trading. They have they have crypto accessibility through a different through additional platforms, but overall just excellent ease of use through your tablet, smartphone, or desktop. So. Weeble, affiliate links in the description down below. There are terms and conditions that apply, but it is a very simple application to use. Um, I trust it, and maybe you should too. Uh, anyways, I want to. Oh, but just a quick thing. I mean, you guys know I'm kind of a a, a uh, seltzer person. So uh, oddly enough, this um, the polar the polar premium toasted coconut. That one, um, I think it's, I, I know it's, at the end of the day, it's seltzer. It's just spicy water, I guess. But um, I actually do really, I, I like it. I like the way it tastes f- for some reason. Normally, I just drink seltzer because it's a, for some reason, it's easy for me to get hydrated with it. Or, well, drink more water, per se. Um, I don't, sometimes I put extra sodium in it. But toasted coconut, I like it. I don't know. I, I think I, if I like something, which isn't much, uh, I should at least recommend it. Mm. So I deleted last night's episode. Excuse me. No, I screwed up last night's episode. So apologies there. That's fantastic. So I literally recorded almost an hour long episode. And then I realized for some reason that the audio, because I was moving my computer around and anytime you move your computer around uh, with OBS open, you can reset some of the settings. And I heard the music. I saw the video. I didn't hear my own stupid voice. So that was pretty much took the wind out of my sails for that day. And uh, yeah, here we are again, uh, at least trying to make the most of it. So, uh, I, man, that's that's rough. You go, you really do. That's why you quality check and you double check your things before you dive into something that's gonna. You're not even gonna. You're just basically gonna blank out for 45 minutes to an hour. You got to make sure that your sound is working. Um, that being said, so uh, I did want to. I discussed turkey prices and availability of turkey prices. I've discussed it actually a few times over the past couple of years. And I think for me, it's kind of a gauge as to where we are in terms of inflation and supply chains. To me, it always has. Um, For those of you who aren't completely familiar with my process is I do have a very 
specific budget on these things. Um, if I don't need it, I don't buy it. I mean, I'm not a minimalist by any imagination, but when it comes to food shopping, I don't. I generally don't buy junk. Okay, and during and around Thanksgiving season, I tend to stock up on turkeys. I've bought and bought and bought. I guess is the proper phrasing. Um, as much as like 10 to 12 turkeys in one season. Um, I mean, there was one season where it was like 29 cents a pound after Thanksgiving, so I was able to grab significantly way more. I've cooked more turkeys in my entire life than my than my mother, my sister, my brother-in-law um, combined. So, but it's just because I it's a cheap source of solid protein that's great for me and for Chase. So I tend to buy a ton of them. And when you can get them at like 40 something cents a pound and you end up spending, you know, seven and a half dollars for a giant piece of animal, it's a great buy. So why wouldn't you do it? And a lot of people always say, oh, I really don't like turkey all that much. It's like, okay, great. Um, it has a lot of applications. I know how to cook it right uh, as far as how to split it up in, in, into pe certain pieces, into fractions so that it cooks faster and you get basically all of the meat and you waste nothing. So... Turkey prices, I mean, after COVID, um, turkey prices were actually fine. The supply chain was there. Uh, last year, the year, I mean, they, I was able to get them at the 49 cents a pound marker and was able to purchase between five and seven each year. It was no problem. My concern last year was there, gonna, was there going to be any. And sure enough, there was plenty. So I purchased uh, a few from different locations and I was good to go. My biggest concern this year, though, was inf was inflation finally going to jack up the prices to turkey past the point of $10 for a, you know, a medium-sized turkey. And medium-sized turkey is generally like between 15 and 17 pounds. There's the 18 to 22 pounders, which, you know, sometimes you grab, sometimes you're able to grab those. But if you have like a 16-pound turkey for yourself, you're generally in good shape. That will last you quite a few days if you're just eating for yourself and maybe one other person. So I was like, okay, what's the price is going to be? Because I was seeing like $1.15, $1.20, cents, but like that's not what we're looking for here. We're looking for that standard $0.49 cents a pound. You can grab one at $7.50, grab a few of them, and it lasts you. You literally almost don't have to buy meat for like an entire month or two months if you get enough of them. And you're, you're golden, and your grocery bill plummets during this time. Um in my opinion, if you are a person who is shopping for gross for for Christmas gifts, this is the great way to freaking subsidize that way of if you have all this protein, now you can utilize that money to buy people gifts and greetings cards and stocking stuffers and things like that. Matt, being said, um, first few times around, I wasn't able to find them. Finally, like the day before or the day two days before, offhand, I I found like three. I should have bought seven. I ended up buying three. All the other places they didn't have them they had them at 49 cents but they did not have them for the prices uh they had them for the prices i was hoping for but as far as the inventory gone couldn't find them anywhere else except for that one place um the other ones the other ones were available i don't know if, but those prices i'm pretty sure won't go down if they do great i'll grab more but right now all that's left are the ones that are going for you know, $20, $25, $30, $40. And I'm just, it's not worth it to me to spend that type of money on that. So 
I got three this year. I thought money. I thought price was going to be a concern of mine. Apparently, it was inventory. They just didn't have it. So, um, not almost as bad as like the Great Toilet Paper Crisis of 2020. You know, turkeys at this certain price were nowhere to be seen. So, I did manage to grab three. Um, so that will tie me over for a while. I do have to like. I do generally do cook these on like the weekends or like a, a Friday or something like that where I have a little more time. Um, it only takes like a few hours because I generally cook it in a certain way and then I'm good to go. But um, yeah, it, it, it's I'm curious as what's it going to be like next year. This year was an inventory issue. Is next year going to be like a pricing issue? But now the issues my my concern has finally been justified. Like they weren't available. And I don't know for what reason other than many, not as many were shipped out. I'm not, I'm not quite certain. I'm sh it, it's just, I wish, I wish I could have got more. I should have bought more when I had the opportunity, but, um, at least I got three. So anyways, I just wanted to, I wanted to follow up on that initial, um, uh, thing I talked about a couple weeks ago on the podcast. So, um, on, so obviously speaking of like you know saving money and things like that obviously my winter car is a you know it's just an old uh it's a 1998 lincoln continental i bought it for 1200 bucks and i've generally done you know very little maintenance on the car there was the initial maintenance to get it moving which was like a couple grand and the thing's been a great winter warrior uh ever since my purchase uh four years ago going into this fourth winter and I've essentially purchased nothing for this car um, since I did the initial uh, upkeep on it when I first got it. I mean, the only thing I've purchased for it was floor mats. whoop de doo $25. Don't get me wrong. I, I like them, but this is the only purchase upgrade or whatever I've done for this car. I haven't even changed the air filter, which we'll get to. So I decided after four years, I'm going to change the air filter. Um... Just never really had time to get to it. Obviously, it's got to it's it's dirty and it can cause all kinds of problems in your engine if you just leave it in there. Uh, so I finally, once again, another cheap part for this car. Buying these American cars during the early 90s and early 2000s, parts were super cheap and they still are now. Um, a great plus to buying a car like this. Very modular, um, very durable. So uh, it's $22. Air filter. You could probably even get them for like as low as 15 bucks if you search hard enough. Easy peasy. Uh, grabbed it and went back and did it myself. Now, in, here's the here's the frustration of it because I obviously my head's not with it, so I was sort of thought like I knew what I was doing, which I did, but I obviously missed a step somewhere because I just wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. So I'm gonna just, let me just pop the article monitor. This is a example of a, uh, a 32 valve V8 engine that is in the Lincoln. This is this engine's uh, not as clean as mine. Mine's a little, mine's considerably cleaner, uh, but essentially this is the it's the this is the exact same thing. Um, it's they I believe they started in the the Lincoln Mark 8s, and then they shifted over to these engines, these 32 valve aluminum blocks. Not the greatest on gas mileage, but pretty reliable. And then they switched over to the Lincoln Continentals, and then you found them in the 99 to 04 uh, Mustang Mach 1s. 
because they proved they had so much power that um, they kind of made their way over there. Uh, they stopped making these in, I believe, the mid-2000s, like 2005. They kind of made their way out of there, and they switched over to a different uh, setup. But great engine. They were used in Mercury Mountaineers. They were, they were just awesome. So over here is that is the uh that's basically where the throttle body is that's where the basically the air the valves open up to allow the air to come in through this air pipe here uh through this through this pipe that basically goes and basically adds to the engine to gas air boof there you go explosion horsepower so basically to undo this part you just have basically a, a c-clamp and that c-clamp kind of loosens that piece and it comes off the top of the throttle body over here is the air filter and something called the mass airflow sensor that also comes off with a c-clamp you can google a c-clamp it's just basically it's a clamp that goes around something to tighten it like a like a like a tube um, and it's a flathead screwdriver or a Phillips head, and you just turn it to loosen up to the, loosen up the, the clamp, and then you can take your part off or tighten it up either way. Um, that's where the air filter was. Popped it in, took the dirty one out, put the new one in. But before you close it up, there's a housing over here called the mass airflow sensor. Mass airflow sensor helps uh, understand what, how much air, what kind of air is coming through the air filter so that it can moderate um, your RPMs. So you have you, you need a certain amount of air for first gear, a certain amount of air for second gear, third gear, fourth gear, and it helps it helps with that. It helps with a lot. It's the, the mass airflow sensor is attached to a computer, and it helps with with shifting. It helps with uh, air temperature. It's just there. Okay. If it's not working or if it's disconnected, it can cause you all kinds of problems. So for, I took it out. I understood it was in there, put the old air filter back in, drove down to the store, picked up the new one, put the air filter back in the new one, parked the car. I basically just moved it from one spot to another once I was finished doing the service on it. And then I woke up the next day and I was like, okay, I'm going to go down to the store and grab a, I had to grab like one or two other things, uh, pretty much and then I was just done for the day I, I was watching some documentaries and went to I warmed the car up for like five minutes and I went and took off it was a very cold day mind you now I started coasting down the hill as soon as I started coasting down the hill the car stalled and I was like okay so I started the car again just rolling down the hill car stalled again Turned the car back on, car stalled again. I was going up a hill onto the gas station area. I was going to get like air from my front tires and the car was stalling again. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm starting to think maybe it's because it's really cold out. This car does not. This car is not a fan of the cold. Uh, it has to really warm up. to Once it gets up to a proper temperature, this thing's perfectly fine. It cruises nowhere. Like I've driven this car in negative 14 degrees. Uh, once it was warmed up, it was perfectly fine. So... Once I put the air in it, I drove it out of the parking lot, which is like first gear. And then once I got, went to get on the highway, well, not really the highway, but like 106, the car stalled again. And now I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what's going on. So I'm kind of trying to rev it a little bit as I'm coasting down this hill. 
it continuously stalls out. Now, if you've never had, if you've ever had your car stall out for some reason, um, your power steering basically becomes useless, and and you are, it's good. It can make it definitely makes you a road hazard. So I'm crawling down this road uh, in the breakdown lane, trying to figure out why my car is doing what it's doing, and then I finally get to the bottom of the hill, and it shifts into third, and third has no power, like it's just not even there. Which is now I'm now I'm starting to get like now my my temperature is elevating. I don't understand what's going on. The car I go to turn left into this random parking lot at the bottom of this hill. Uh, I'm uh, maybe a mile. I'm barely a mile from where I started. And I go as I uh, as I coast into this parking lot. I turn the car on again, and instead of it bogging out and stalling, the tack the RPMs go through the roof and thankfully cars like these they have governors on them so if you get to like 6,000 rpms the car says all right that's enough you don't need any more i'm going to tack you out here so that if you don't start the car it goes all the way to like 8,000 rpms and then you blow up the engine and then you're completely screwed so it revs all the way up to its governed allowance and then i just turn the car off the car is sitting there in this parking lot and i'm like okay what do I do now? Is this is this it for this car? Has it had its run? Um, I don't understand what's going on. I'm like, all right, who's the last person to do any work on this car? Me. I'm the last person to do any work on this car. Was it working the day before I touched it? Yes, it was. Okay. Let me get out of the car. Car's off. Go pop the hood. Chase is in the back seat. It's extremely cold out. Okay. So... I've got to think quickly here because I've got a car that's not working properly. I go and pop the hood. I look, and right here is where the air, air, mass airflow, mass airflow sensor is supposed to be. It's supposed to be inside this tube, locked in place. It was hanging down here underneath the tube that the air filter pushes air through. So the air that it was monitoring was the bristling cold air that was coming up through the bottom of the car no controlled no controlled air filtration whatsoever just sitting there hanging inside of its hat plastic housing how i missed that i don't know but i can tell you i missed it so i'm like all right i know what the problem i know what the problem is i had a 99 pontiac grand prix that had the same issue uh, back in the day, it was a dirty air, mass airflow sensor. They put in a new one and the problem went away. I should have just cleaned the damn thing and I would have been okay. But I was young at the time and I didn't know any better. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to put the mass airflow sensor back in, close the clamps, and I should be good to go. Let me grab a flathead screwdriver. I checked the center console. I don't have one. I checked the glove compartment. Not one in there. I checked the trunk. All kinds of stuff in there. Cleaning supplies, paint brushes, uh, blankets. Um, no flathead screwdriver. No quarters, nothing that can act as a flathead screwdriver. My keys wouldn't work as a flathead screwdriver. I had nothing to, to my immediate notice that would be able to undo the C-clamps so that I could take this thing back off and put it back together the right way. So I'm like, great, what do I do? Start knocking on people's doors and asking them for a flathead screwdriver? Well, I'm pretty close to pretty close to start doing that. But I'm like, all right, I'm I'm parked next to a repair shop that's closed. 
what else is nearby? I look down the street, there's a granite state glass. Okay, they probably have a flathead screwdriver. They are a business after all, that people work with their hands. So I jog down there, leaving Chase in the car. I jog down there, I walk in there, I explained him the whole situation, just like I explained it to you, and I asked, do you have a flathead screwdriver? He goes, yes. I run back, I undo both C-clamps, pull the pull the the uh, the air the air uh, the air intake off, put it back in, basically placing it on top of the air filter. Place you know after a few minutes of kind of finagling it because it's kind of a as you can see it's a pretty tight fit like this is you know it's it's against mostly everything there's not a lot of room to negotiate in there. I mean I've definitely seen worse but it's not the biggest engine bay. Um, this engine is sideways because it's front wheel drive. So the pulleys are over here. The alternator's over here. If it's rear wheel drive, the alternator, um, well, the alternator can be wherever it wants, but the pulleys would generally be up front. So, but because it's front wheel drive, engine sideways. So um, I tighten it up, put the mass airflow sensor in, make sure everything's as it is, start the car. It's idling. Cool. Did I solve the problem? Is it all? It, was it no big deal? It was just a, a mess. On, it was just a, a, an accident on my part that I could, you know, I can fix. Cool. I, 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 I slowly pull out of the parking lot, scroll down the hill about maybe, I don't know, a few hundred feet and roll into the, the glass parking lot. No problems. I give him back, give him back the flathead screwdriver. Thank you very much. Start my way down the road, no problems, coast is clear. It was that one little thing that I forgot to do that absolutely wreaked havoc on, I mean, literally without this mass airflow sensor, you can't sh you can't shift your car, you can't, you can't do anything. Your car becomes useless. So I, it was just, it's a little mechanical thing that you guys maybe should be, you should probably be aware of um, when your car starts acting up like this, it's one of those things you could definitely check and they make mass airflow sensor cleaner because you can get oils and dirt on this thing and then that'll hurt the sensor and it'll start acting quirky. Your check engine light can come on things like that. So it's definitely something to be aware of. Um, if you ever have a check engine light on your car that is, uh, that is solid, uh, you can go to advanced auto parts. They have free, you, they'll allow you to use their OBD scanners for free. So you can get a better sense of uh, what is wrong with your car and you can take that code, you can print, you know, screen it, you know, not screenshot it, but, you know, take a picture of it and that will help you better understand what you need to do. Uh, so thankfully my fix, my original fix was $22 and then the fix after the fix was free. It only cost me a few gray hairs, um, which is no big deal. I'll take that. So car troubles. Thankfully averted this, you know, little reliable V8 um, will hopefully sail into a another year of reliability during the winter time <clears throat> with no car payment um, <coughs> and a remote starter. So I'm nice and cozy in the morning. So um, I've been I know the movie Napoleon uh, just came out or is coming out. Excuse me. Joaquin Phoenix, apparently everybody's favorite. The idea of Napoleon is fascinating. 
don't get me wrong. I, I actually, from what I understand, from what I understand from these documentaries uh, and his war tactics, he wasn't a short guy. I know they talked about him actually being like, you know, a short man syndrome and stuff like that. Um, I don't believe that to be the case. I believe he was just as tall as everybody else. So, uh, he, I mean, if you don't know who he exactly was, he, he, he was born during a time where aristocracy was a thing. If you weren't born into it, if you weren't part of the group, um, you you weren't taken care of. You didn't get your monies. You didn't get wealth. You didn't get power. You didn't get your estates in Yorkshire. You didn't get any of that bullshit. He was just a uh, essentially a pleb of little to no influence in, a, in an island called Corsica. From an island called Corsica, uh, Corsica or Elba, one of the two. Um, no. I think it was from Corsica, and he was exiled to Elba at the, you know, towards the end of his life. So um, he was out to prove a point, and there's a lot of similarities from his the way he came to power to a lot of other leaders who uh, caused millions of deaths um, in a brief short a brief period of time. So he through aristocracy, obviously the the haves get everything and the have-nots get little to nothing uh, a trend you're starting to see a little bit more and more here in the united states um but france was i mean this napoleon was around just after the american revolution you know he this wasn't forever ago he was his his run in his reign of power was in the 1800s early 1800s that's when he came and he came to prominence in the late 1790s okay so before, just before the Civil War in 1860, uh, 1860-1861, so American Civil War, and just after the American Revolution when we fought the British. So not long after the uh, the Declaration of Independence, Napoleon was coming to power. And the French Revolution and the storming of the Bastille, it was chaos. The thing is, is that like Adolf Hitler, and I'll make this comparison, Hitler came to power, excuse me, Napoleon came to power um, when there was chaos and dis strong distaste and possible revolution and all this other kinds of stuff against the government. So he was able to rise through the ranks, take control, and in the dimmest of hours, people will look for any type of glimmering light and cling on to it and generally ap appeal to whatever that leader who has authoritarian control says and does. So like Hitler, Napoleon did the same thing. He rose to power. He assumed control of the throne. He won multiple battles as general. And he wanted to conquer. He wanted to conquer. I mean, don't get me wrong. At when it be, And it wasn't like he was the only one. I mean, the Brits had a, a term of the... The sunset never... The sun never set on the British Empire. Because... They had control in the Middle East, control in Africa, control in in Australia. They um, they wanted control in the United States, obviously, back then in the 13 colonies. So they were warlords as well, and they literally teamed up with the Spanish, um, the people who they literally just went to war with earlier, you know, the Spanish Armada versus the uh, British Royal Navy. The British Royal Navy, though, was just smaller, faster ships where the Spanish Armada ships were too big therefore they couldn't maneuver as quickly therefore um they were just encircled and torn apart by the brits smaller boats 
they weren't that small let's be honest so but that being said it wasn't really a big of an issue to napoleon at least at first because even though the brits had a giant navy napoleon controlled the ground so the minute you stepped on uh, stepped on land you had to deal with napoleon's massive army of hundreds of thousands of troops cavalry infantry guns and i mean guns i mean cannons so and napoleon was an excellent tactician uh especially when he was in full command so when he was overseeing everything that was going on in the battlefield he um he was a force to be reckoned with an absolutely excellent general definitely cocky for sure definitely cocky and but an excellent general but he controlled the land and he made the same mistakes that a lot of other people throughout throughout time made when rising to power very very quickly assuming authoritarian control over the entire uh continent of europe just like hitler and just like other people back in the day like the roman empire same thing rising to power um conquest of any territory that isn't theirs killing raping pillaging um any and any opportunity they could see napoleon was no better uh but no worse he was exactly the same i mean in total during his campaign six million people died and a lot of it wasn't even because in battle a lot of it was due to famine and sickness a lot of his soldiers most of his soldiers died just from being sick things like dysentery and stuff like that i mean imagine just marching for hundreds of miles over the course of several months in so much inclement weather with not the greatest resources the food the clothes and then you're walking into russia of all places that's one lesson in life don't invade russia it just doesn't work it's just the one place you don't go so but napoleon was able to get into spain if he had if he had decided not to allocate so many resources to uh the russian campaign he could have absolutely um been able to get into portugal portugal and take over all the ports he could have he could have done that but it's another situation of trying to divide and conquer and he did not have the resources for it because at the end of the day it was just europe and not everybody everybody was just they weren't his friend they were just allies or neutral parties and you got to feed all these soldiers you got to clothe all these soldiers you got to give them weapons you got to give them all kinds of you got to pay them where's this money coming from this it so i'll finish i'll finalize my point soon but as i'm watching his tactic i mean i'm watching for mostly his his war like like his tactics during war not i mean don't get me wrong nothing short of impressive nothing short of impressive um the way he was able to flank and encircle and surprise <clears throat> it was amazing but like any other uh general or you know cocky son of a bitch he obviously thought he could do more than he did and he suffered the consequences because of it so as he approached russia he he obviously it was the cold it got really cold really really cold really quickly and he couldn't manage he couldn't manage he lost uh hundreds of thousands of men on the trek back he lost even more 
and bef- within 10 years, in a span of 10 years, it was over. But how quickly he came to power because people were fed up in France and he was the one who showed strength and confidence and could bring France out of the gutter and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's the same old tune every single time. And But like people after, like conquerors after him, conquerors before him, like when the Brits took on the Scots and there's Ireland and Northern Ireland and the Spanish conquistadors and um, the Roman Empire and the Ottoman Empire and the Russian Revolution, the Russian Empire and uh, the Third Reich. It's the same thing throughout history. The same thing throughout history. Every there, it's almost when I look back and I look at all the wars that have taken place. You, first of all, there's so much out there that you don't even, you don't even realize. There's it. It's always been a time of war. Maybe not here, but somewhere else. Somebody's always battling each other in the most despicable, disgusting um, way, uh, way. It was just that everybody points to Hitler because he documented absolutely everything that he did because he expected to win. The question, I mean, would Napoleon do the same thing? Yeah, I'd assume he would. I assumed he'd. I would assume he would. It's just that everybody points to the Third Reich because they documented everything that they did. It was again, and it was, it was what it was. But I'm not saying, I'm saying saying simply this: Napoleon was no better. He, I maybe the movie will, I, maybe the movie will, will will glorify him. Maybe it won't, but it's going to show his rise to power as a as a you know, as a, a belligerent overconfident uh they're they're showing him in the light where he's very um crude in some of his behavior understandably so because he did not come from aristocracy he came from a pleb type environment very peasanty on an island so he's obviously going to have different habits but he can appeal to the masses unlike the the aristocrats could so it's always been a time of war. So when you compare like what's going on now with Ukraine and Russia and um, Israel and Hamas on the Gaza Strip, it's like is this anything new? People to, like don't don't people can understand their history. It's like this has been going on since the beginning of recorded time. It's been going on before the beginning of recorded time. Everybody's always been attacking each other. This is just another example of tribalism. Napoleon was out there to prove a point. He took the masses, used them to his advantage, and started to conquer. Just like the Romans. Just like when we came here. Not we, not me, because I'm I'm an, of immigrant parents. Um, when the pilgrims got here, and then we started to do colonization of the United States. And the people, we started basically raping and pillaging the native tribes. But what were the native tribes doing before we got here? The same thing. And they were doing it at a smaller scale because literally you could have two tribes within miles of each other and they're not even speaking the same language. Same thing in Aboriginal tribes in Australia. They'd be a couple miles apart. They don't even speak the same language and they're at war with each other. Now, don't get me wrong. There's peaceful tribes. Yeah, there's Wyoming. But um, the peaceful tribes are always getting – they get attacked it's just like it is in in South Sudan, South Sudan. They got like 50 tribes. Yeah, there's some peaceful tribes over there, but there's a lot of warring tribes. 
there's a lot of warrior tribes. So what we what we did to the native native people was awful. It was just as awful as what they were doing to each other. I mean, the ones in Mexico were cutting people's heads off and rolling them down flights of stairs. That's pretty. That's remarkably disgusting. I have to admit, but it's no different and no worse. What happened to What's going on in, in Ukraine and Russia is another example of that. That's insane. When the Russians came in on the Western Front to take out Hitler in World War II, um, the things they did along that way before before the Germans surrendered and after the Germans surrendered were horrific. Absolutely horrific. The things they do were no different than the people before them and the people after them. The things that have been going on in the Middle East that are going on now and before, journalists getting journalists with that aren't armed getting shot in the head, um, the situation that that happened in October, these are things that have been going on for centuries. It's almost like you can't even defend or support. In my mind, I don't know what to tell. I don't know what which way you should go, other than it would make sense for people to establish states and establish commerce and mutual respect. But we're living in a fucking fantasy land if you think that's going to continue. You can always bet on a lot of things. The government failing you, uh, wartime economies, the powerful wanting to become more powerful at the expense of the public and the weak. You can always expect to cor that corruption is too corrupt. That's what it does. You just have to understand that because these wars and these this raping and pillaging has been going on and off everywhere over a course of many, many years. And it's not going to end. I mean, look how quickly when this uh, Israel-Hamas situation popped up, how quickly we forgot about... Um, not only did we forget about the Ukraine war, but then we for completely forgot about what, what happened in Lanai. In, in Hawaii, we just completely forgot about it. It's like, oh, this is terrible. Are we going to help these people? It's like, nope, don't even care anymore. The 24-hour news cycle did away with it, it uh, just like everything else in history. You go to Wikipedia and you just look up battles in time, wars in time. It It's mind-boggling. It has never stopped. It's part of human nature. So to understand if what napoleon understanding that what napoleon did was a terrible thing he had no, there was no reason i'm sure they were egging him on but there was no reason for him to overtake all of germany back then it was a bunch of different you know provinces there was no reason for him to take over italy there was no reason for him to take over austria sure if he wanted to expand france a little bit but guess what you always want people like him will always want more Europe has been in conflict just as much. Europe has been in conflict just as much as the Middle East has. Since it was since it became a thing, it's always been in conflict. It's in conflict now. That will never change. Never. So the question is it's like well what's going to happen? I mean in the, in the United States, in the United States, we we have the exact same problems. We got here. We attacked the col we we first thing we did, we had a war against the British. After that, we had the Mexican-American War, French and Indian War, 
Then we had the Civil War, where we literally fought ourselves. And then we fought the people who belonged to the land, and we took care of that. Great. Fantastic. And then after that, we had we stepped into World War One. We were in, we got sucked into World War Two. Then we had the Korean War. Then we had the Vietnam War. We had uh, multiple conflicts in other countries. Okay. We had the Cold War with Russia. We almost blew up the world with Cuba. Then we had two Iraq wars. We had a war in Afghanistan. All right. We've we've launched multiple campaigns across North Africa, uh, in the Middle East, and now we have a proxy war with Ukraine against Russia. And now we're doing this this proxy sort of campaign in the Middle East with Israel. It's it's going to be somebody else five years from now. It's going to be somebody else five years after that. The only thing is, is it gets ramped up each time. I mean, has is there more peace today than there is, than there was, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago? I know I know Steven Pinker says that it it happens to be the case. Uh, I I don't I don't know, I don't know when it comes to ratios of people. I guess when you when you do it against the the percentage of the population, I mean I see where he has a point, but there's civil wars going on right now in in Central Africa. There, there's, um, there's civil unrest in the United States, in Africa, in South America, um, in Russia, in Ireland right now. France was just rioting a short time ago, just about a year or two ago. Iran was protesting against the Ayatollah. I'm sure that went well. There was the Afghani withdrawal, which was an absolute disaster. And then there was the little, the little pandemic where people had their rights. Uh, their you know actual human rights stripped from them. There was the the trucking convoy protesting in Canada where they were freezing people's bank accounts. I mean it, this stuff never ends. So to think that you know the history, maybe you do know the history, but it doesn't allow you to lean to one side or another because one person was there first. Every you're talking about a, a situation. See. When it comes to the Israel-Palestine thing, you're talking about a situation that has existed since the beginning of time. The beginning of known time. These two were duking it out, regardless of what n the name you want to throw in the area. It's always bounced back and forth. So when it comes to Napoleon, it's like, this is a guy who, just like anybody else, tried to conquer the world like Genghis Khan, like Adolf Hitler. Joseph Stalin decided instead to starve his own people. Six million Ukrainians starved to death because this guy decided that basically uh, property is theft. So it was a little bit backwards what he did. But essentially he did it to his own people. That was never Napoleon's intention. Napoleon's intention was to essentially make France great again. That was his intention. So... It is. It was um, interesting to watch his entire uh, lifespan of what he did. But the more I watched it, I'm like, yeah, he's he's no different. He, he was a warlord. He was a yeah. He was a great general and excellent tactician. But the guy was a thug. The dude was a fucking warlord. His generals, his colonels, his men, 
They raped and pillaged. They did all the terrible things that Genghis Khan and the Russians and the Americans and, uh, and the Africans did before him and after him. He was no different. Doesn't mean you can't go and enjoy the movie. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it's like I'm watching this and it's like they, they make him out to be this grandiose figure, which is fine. But it's like I look at it and it's like, yeah. It, it opened up a window of ideas like, yeah, he, he did the same thing that everybody else was doing. He did it at an accelerated rate, just like everybody else has. When there's chaos in, when there's chaos in the land, a new hero rises. But what does he do after that? Rome fell quickly. France fell quickly. Germany fell quickly. Uh, the Soviet Union didn't fall as quickly because there was no active war going on. It was just a cold war. But they eventually just made themselves look stupid uh, through efforts such as Chernobyl. But these authoritarian regimes that rise to power so quickly through war tend to fall very quickly. The ones that rise with uh, through cold wars or through tensions do fall apart after time. Like China is definitely having that problem right now. We're having that problem right now. But we are the last frontier uh, in on this planet. What do we evolve into? What does this what does this country evolve into? Do we evolve into chaos and then another Napoleon rises up here and the next thing you know we're invading Mexico and we're invading Canada? Is that something that we want to do? Is that something that we can do? I'm guessing it is. I'd rather it not be that way. I'd rather we just be responsible for what we're supposed to be doing and move on with it. We don't need another Napoleon here. I'm hoping the checks and balances stop that from happening that we currently have, as long as they're interpreted right. But it is fascinating. I strongly recommend that um, you guys go and watch a little bit of documentary on Napoleon and the things that he... Um, the things that he accomplished in a short period of time, but just understand that the way he did it, um, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, six million people paid the price for it. Oh, and he was—I think he was married like three times, but that's besides the point. Um, that's it for today. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. You can find me on um, you can find me on my own website. Just hit, go ahead and contact me there in the contact section, positive sarcasm uh, at outlook.com. You can reach me there directly. Questions, concerns, comments. Uh, the video version of this podcast is available on Rumble at positive sarcasm. The audio version of this podcast is available uh, pretty much you know Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcast. It's all there. Um, you can also download it and stream it directly from my website. So uh, in the meantime, uh, I hope you guys had a little good education session with me. Thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing. And I'll talk to you all in the next episode. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio, this has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation.